Okay, folks, originally we were going to have a comedic parody of ACDC's Big Balls done in the theme to this show we're reviewing today. But ACDC has lawyers, litigious lawyers, and rather than take that risk, I decided to err on the side of caution. But that, unfortunately, is the state of media usage today, where even proper fair use parody is at risk of being taken down because of copyright strikes and these overly litigious lawyers. Consider this our rallying cry here on the Pimmy and James show. Protect fair use. Period. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Pimmy and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Alright, hello folks. Now that I've gotten that off my chest, I'm James Irish. I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And welcome to the Pemmy and James kind of sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast where we make our second journey to the land of the rising sun to talk about one of the truly influential works in the world of anime and manga, Akira Toriyama's Dragon Ball. Boy, <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say I'm the biggest Dragon Ball fan, but I do like Dragon Ball. But man, it is amazing just how big of a deal this is and how much it changed during its entire run to say the least now those of you who would be familiar with the nearly omnipresent in the 90 late 90s and 2000s dragon ball z or the modern incarnation dragon ball super are probably familiar with these glowering muscle men whose hair changes color but based on how much power they can achieve and an escalating scale of increasingly powerful villains and them having to train over and over and over and over and over and over. And they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, they fight, 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 fight. The Goku and Vegeta show. <laughs> Thanks. I couldn't think of a way to end that. <laughs> yeah. A lot of training, a lot of fighting, occasional gender-based comedy, but, this franchise has made people millions upon millions of dollars based on media rights, merchandising rights, licensing fees, and the whole nine yards. And yet, it starts with this humble little series, which has its roots in Chinese literature. Ah, yes. Journey to the West. My... Or the, the Legend of the Monkey King, whichever name you want to use for it. I love the Monkey King. He's one of my favorite, like, favorite, like, I don't know, I guess old literature characters or something. Seems to be a reoccurring trend on my podcast because just last week, uh, the Gaming Street Regulars show did an episode based on a work derived from another of the four great classical Chinese novels, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. And, of course, Journey to the West is another of those four. Journey to the West centers around a Buddhist monk, Tang Sanzang, based on the real-life figure Zhuanzang, and his travels to recover sacred Buddhist texts with a trio of protectors atoning for their own sins. The gluttonous pigman Zhu Baji, the modest monster Sha Wujing, 
and the aforementioned Sun Wukong, the Monkey King. The quartet encounter many adventures on their quest for enlightenment, aiding villagers against various demons and monsters in a story that's simultaneously spiritually enlightening and comedic parable. <laughs> I don't know why this is what pops in my head, but uh, I, I just remember the part in that story where uh, Buddha, like, closes his hands on the uh, Monkey King, and the Monkey King's response was to pee in Buddha's hands. <laughs> Yeah, that set the tone for what we're going to watch today. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anyhow, Journey to the West has been adapted into all manner of media several times, from multiple movies, including one with Jackie Chan as a turn of the Monkey King, to, to video games, including a popular side-scrolling shooter from Capcom named Sansan, and, of course, comics and manga. Heck, there was a recent cartoon that's a Lego version of the Monkey King that came out fairly recently. That does not surprise me. It's actually animated really nicely, 2D animation and everything. Oh. I think it's the, I think it's the same people who did the uh, Rise of the TMNT or something. Okay. It, I saw, like, the first episode of it. It looked really good. If I remember right, they have Sean Schimmel, who plays the who's the dub voice for adult Goku, as the Monkey King in it ironically but it it because if i remember right the lego one's called the monkey kid or something it's about a kid that's the monkey king is given his powers to a child or something to become the new monkey king or something you had another one to add to the list i suppose we're keeping the list in a closet it's gotten so big closet i thought we had to buy a had to rent one of those storage sheds oh yeah yeah we're, we're, we're in the process of moving the list there that's right <laughs> But it's at this point where Akira Toriyama enters the picture. Toriyama had entered the world of manga in the 1970s and had his first major hit with Dr. Slump, which was serialized in the anthology magazine Weekly Shonen Jump from 1980 to 1984 and was adapted into anime form in 1981. Slump is no slouch in Japan, having sold over 35 million copies there and starting the residency of Toriyama's work in the same time slot on Fuji TV for 18 years. But this success is dwarfed by Toriyama's next work. And uh, have you ever seen Dr. Slump? I actually haven't. Just some clips here and there. It's interesting. It's, it, it is definitely, uh, it's, it's a lot of parody and a lot of childish humor, but also... A lot of parody and creative cartooniness for a more uh, Japanese market in comparison. It, it feels like Toriyama took both a lot of inspiration from like a lot of Japanese media because he parodies that a lot in it. But also a lot of American media with a lot of the characters doing a lot of uh, very cartoonish like reaction takes and stuff. But yeah, lots of... Uh... I'd almost say he would be revolutionary at the time that that was created if it was an American show, because there's a lot of, uh, yeah, pee-pee-poo-poo fart mm -hmm. humor in it. But a lot of creative stuff in it, too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, pee-pee-poo-poo fart-fart humor is kind of the Japanese standard for naughtiness, whereas here in the West, it's curse words. Yeah, I, well, I, like... American animation really didn't start doing the, that kind of humor until, like, what, the mid-early mid 90s? Unless there's some stuff by 
the Fritz the Cat fellow we missed. <laughs> True. Mm-hmm. Ralph Bakshi? Yeah, Ralph Bakshi. Yeah. I would not be surprised if he tried some of that he in probably... his quest to find things very different from what Disney was putting out. More than likely. I mean, he did do a lot of mature stuff, but I was more thinking, like, in kids' media, because it wasn't until, like, you know... Uh, 90s era, like, Nickelodeon in a particular show I'm not going to name, so I'm going to just skip it and say Rocco's Modern Life, because I do like Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll just before. go with that. <laughs> uh, really opened the door for that in American media. So, just verifying, I don't dislike Rocco's Modern Life. I actually don't have a problem with the show I not going to name. I have a different problem with that show, but I'm still not going to say its name. <laughs> yeah, well, and we'll eventually get to that in the Q&A episode. Yes. Or Q&A panel. Hey! Nice nice lead in there. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. So Toriyama wanted to do something different from the Western themes that were reoccurring in Dr. Slump. So he drew inspiration visually from nearly all cultures of Asia. From the Arabian cultures of the Western end of the continent all the way through to China and Japan. His plot initially drew elements from both Journey to the West and martial arts movies, all leading to a fictional world starring a monkey-tailed young man searching for the seven Dragon Balls that can summon a dragon which can, who can grant any wish, alongside his iconoclastic group of allies, some of whom we'll meet in these first two episodes, and the battles against increasingly powerful and sometimes very unusual antagonists bent on a variety of wicked ends. Sometimes via the Dragon Balls, sometimes by other means. For the initial run of Dragon Ball, Toei Animation created 153 episodes, lasting from 1986 to 1989, and today, we're looking at the very first two. God, add Z in there, and Super, and God, this is a long series. Or just add Z, since that came pretty much right after this. Indeed. No, I was going to say, uh, if I remember right, Toriyama says the movie that he, the martial arts movie that he accredits for Dragon Ball the most is uh, Jackie Chan's Drunken Master. He says that Dragon Ball would not exist if it wasn't for Drunken Master. I think that's one of the few Jackie Chan movies I've seen. It's a good movie. Yeah. Odd ending, but then again, Chinese movies don't tend to end the same way as Western ones do. Nah. But, you know, how can you Culture ever... is culture. True. But, I mean, how can you ever hate a movie with Jackie Chan in it? <laughs> yeah, better his movies than his politics. Mm, well. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. So, rather than spell out all every character in the series, we're going to talk about them as we come across them, and also men- mention some characters who do not appear in these two episodes, who are crucial to our needs for one reason or another. I also want to mention before we get into things that this month is contractual obligation month here on the show. Contractual obligation month. Yeah, because we are, since we are directly tied to Flower City Comic Con, we have to promote Flower City Comic Con in the, in the month before it's, it's arrival. So, I'm just jokingly saying this is our contractual obligation to tie in. Come to Rochester, New York. Come to Flower City Comic Con. I'm going to be there. 
James yes. will be there. <laughs> yes, you will be able to find Mr. C- Mr. Corky in the artist's alley or what comes close to it. We will have over 50 different vendors and exhibitioners, including him, on September 25th and 26th at the Total Sports Experience in the town of Gates, which is a suburb of Rochester, New York. And we genuinely hope to see you there. If you, if you don't feel safe coming up, we understand wholeheartedly. More than understandable, but also still be cool. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we would love to see you. This is my first time going to New York, so I'm quite excited, actually. Yeah, we've got a lot planned for you, buddy. You're going to have a good time no matter what. Yay. Also, oh, now I just realized some unfortunate irony. <laughs> I'm on Delta Airline. Aha. Okay, I'll stop. Oh. So Wait. while I expunge that little bit of bad luck from my brain, let's get into our first episode. The Secret of the Dragon Balls. Woo. Okay, I apologize for the immature humor that's going to come from my mouth. I don't know if Pemi apologized for his. his. I will apologize when the fart joke is made, because I actually don't like fart jokes. But (laughs) Despite how abundant they seem to be in everything, even shows I like. Isn't that right, Jellystone? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, we open with narration detailing Master Gohan finding a lost baby boy in a mysterious land. The boy is named Goku, who trains and becomes uncommonly strong under Gohan until his passing, leaving Goku the sole defender of Gohan's Dragon Ball. What is a Dragon Ball? We'll find out later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it is not a testicle. (laughs) Good, because I'm a dragon, and that would be very upsetting for me. Yeah. (laughs) Goku in the original Japanese anime is voiced by Masako Nozawa, who described herself being utterly ecstatic at getting to voice a character in Toriyama's work, having been a big fan of Dr. Slump and others. But for the dub we're looking at, she's vo- he is voiced, I say she because these are both female voice actors, he is voiced by Stephanie Nadolny. And uh, in the previous 90s dub was uh, Sephiroth Henderson, if I remember right. Okay. It's interesting because uh, despite having different voice actors, the voice they use for like little Goku is still very similar in both the dubs. So, Yeah, moderately high-pitched and very scratchy. Yep. So we get some establishing shots of this very much not-Earth-as-we-know-it place showing a peaceful land with deer, fish, butterflies and pterodactyls this is my favorite this is probably one of my favorite things about akira toriyama is his worlds don't really feel like they give a shit (laughs) i'm sorry give a crap it's just he puts in whatever he likes no matter what it's almost kind of like a it's almost like a childish kind of mentality because it's like you know when you're a little kid and you're like oh yeah i'm gonna draw this big fantasy sci-fi world and dinosaurs and he Mm. he just does it but he makes it work because it's just like there's all this sci-fi like technology yet there's all these lush areas that look untouched by you know man and then there's like you know dinosaurs they're just there (laughs) yeah that actually you actually just reminded me of a point i missed when describing how he approached creating this uh setting 
in that the uninhabited areas is on purpose to avoid the complications of casualties and the big fights that will ensue. Yes. Look at you, Man of Steel. <laughs> oh, I don't like that movie. I don't like that movie at all. <laughs> it had me until uh, Jonathan Kent started saying Superman shouldn't be protecting people. I was, even with that, I was fine up until, like, the scene with the tornado and, like, Jonathan Kent, like, told him not to save him and he got taken in the tornado and that was when I just up, threw my arms up. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> so, you- g- going back to somebody who's who certainly cannot beat Superman. <laughs> go- okay. Goku cheerfully greets the monkeys as he rolls along atop a circular piece of lumber he cut down, leaping from it and landing back on it perfectly as it picks up speed going downhill. What a cheerful life this kid leads. Young Goku is actually hilariously innocent and a bit a bit diffy, for lack of better words. <laughs> I, I can't say that last part totally leaves him as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the small building that's presumably the late Gohan's home, we watch Goku train, launching the lumber into the air, then he jumps up and strikes it into perfectly cut firewood. Then he notices he's hungry. That, that dialogue was weird in, in the dub, because it was just like, oh, that's that. I'm hungry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 it literally feels like the wow part was just added because they needed one more lip movement or something, but it still felt like, yeah. kind of like weird. I was just like, all right. <laughs> Odd. So as Goku realizes his hunger, we see a compact hatchback car driving up the mountainside containing Bulma. It, isn't this when it said the like really 90s line of like, this? His life is going to totally change, totally radical, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, courtesy of our narrator. I was like, okay, this was redubbed in what 2012? <laughs> Did they just reuse lines from the 90, 90s nineties uh, dub of this earlier? More like around two thousand one. See, regardless, it was late to be using totally radical. Yeah, totally radical started becoming the thing in the late eighties. So by then, it would have been dated enough. Uh, oh, I w- do want to mention that in this version of the dub, since this is the later 2000s era dub, that they, the, uh, actually, I think I thought it was 2012 that they dubbed this one. Anyways, the the theme song uh, is a, is an actually translated version of the uh, Japanese theme song for once, which is rare. Um <laughs> Because uh, these epi- edited versions of these episodes aired on uh, Cartoon Network, and they used this version of the theme song that's in this, which uh, I like the Japanese version better, but it's still neat to see because, like I said, I was used to the 90s. Uh, oh, I didn't say this in here. Oops. Um, I'm used to seeing the 90s era dub of this, and in that they did this really hokey theme song that, again, sounded misplaced date-wise because it was like, I think, 96 yeah, aired. 95, 96, right in there. Yeah, and the theme song sounded like something from the 80s. So it's like, they're like, Goku, he's going to show you. He's going to help you find the way. 
and do, and at one point, one of the singers going on about wise guys. <laughs> uh, he and his friends are gonna save the day. Sorry. Yeah. So back to Bulma. She's voiced in the original Japanese audio by Hiromi Sumu, and for the modern dub, she is performed by Tiffany Vollmer, who will be a guest at Flower City Comic Con. God, I wish someone could solve me, because as soon as you said that, I'm like giving a thumbs up to some invisible camera that can't see me. <laughs> it's like cheesy smile and everything. Yep. But yeah, um, it's worth mentioning... Um, Boma's Japanese voice actress was really popular in Japan and uh, unfortunately passed away fairly recently, if I remember. Yeah. Really sad. Yeah, it is. She uh, played Bulma like the entirety of the series. Well, most of the voice actors from the Japanese one are still in there, but still, you know, it's big, long career and very popular. Yeah, that's the thing in Japan. You get cast, you get a job for as long as the franchise exists, practically. Nice work if you can get it. Yeah. It's like that with some American series. I mean, if you get if you get hired to voice a Disney one of the main Disney characters, and you, you're stuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Bulma checks a radar of uh, some sort, and we can surmise she's searching for the Dragon Ball. And Goku, as he's going off to uh, catch his food, we see the small home, and we see the four star Dragon Ball, and Goku. Addresses it as his grandfather. I cannot stress this enough, folks. The franchise featuring super serious-looking muscle men that has made so many people rich off media sales, merchandise rights, and licensing fees begins with a small child who is, at first blush, convinced a tiny ball is his dead grandfather. He is very, very naive. (laughs) What humble sprout... A mighty oak tree grew into. This is even getting into the stuff that gets retroly activated in Dragon Ball Z, but I'll I'll talk about that later. <laughs> so as Goku turns, the ball glows and hums a bit, which the little kid has never seen it do before. He asked for it to do it again, but nothing. Thinking little more of it, he happily goes fishing. <laughs> it's like, can you do that again? Oh, well... If you have to wait, I understand what his exact line was, but he's just like, he, he's so understanding about it. <laughs> so Goku grabs an apple to tide him over and tosses the core onto the head of a passing saber-toothed tiger. Begin the merry chase. And Goku tricks him right off a cliff, complete with, like, Warner Brothers-esque eye-pop-out animation. Yeah, apparently Toriyama hadn't completely excised the Western influences from his work at this point. Well, you know, you get into a habit, and you know, then again, you can see a lot of Doctor Slump esque kind of s- s- visual style and humor in the early Dragon Ball stuff. So the, the tiger lands in the river, and and Goku is quite satisfied at his work before he lands in the river himself. Don't. <laughs> he takes it well, though. Yeah. And now things proceed to get naughty. Goku strips to dry his clothes, and then here comes the waterfall! (laughs) Just takes the whiz right there. And then he spots a fish jumping, 
probably haven't been disturbed by the urine. <laughs> urine wrong. <laughs> and so Goku decides to go tail fishing. I know you think my tail is a big old worm. <laughs> That's a hairy worm, sir. Yeah. Fish are dumb. This is true. The little fish don't go for it, but a huge toothsome fish t- takes the bite. And Goku kicks it down with... With... I, 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 I can't. I, 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 I just can't. Not, not, I, I have seen things researching <laughs> this today. I have seen things, man. He kicks it. That's what he does. He kicks it. I'm just going to yeah. say that. Because <laughs> uh, we don't need to talk about... You know, in Japan, they, they, they don't, they're they like, it's a little kid. It, yeah, but still regardless, it is full frontal! Yep. Good lord, man. Yeah, I, like, like, I said this off camera, but I'll say it again. Yeah, I, I'm sorry I didn't warn you about that. Like I said, I mostly watched the 90s like dub on TV, so I was forgot about the editing despite reading the manga that was unedited. And as soon as I was rewatching this and I saw that scene, I was like, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And, and what's worse is I forgot about it a second time because... Uh, but yeah, I was like, "Oh man, I forgot about that. I should have warned James." And then later in that, like later, I like the next day, I think I like did a stream, and I was like, "Oh, I'll have Dragon Ball playing in the background to refresh me for the podcast." And as soon as that scene came up, I just instantly like skipped, and was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." <laughs> <laughs> I even like said in the chat, "Sorry, I forgot there was nudity in that scene, so I'm skipping it." <laughs> So. Yeah, and this and in this case, New Diddy is not a brand new song. No, it's uh Goku's So regardless. Little... <laughs> the fish is four times Goku's size. And Goku thinks it'll last him until dinner. The Saiyan appetite is established, folks. Goku eats a lot. <laughs> hmm But uh Though we don't even know what a Saiyan is yet. <laughs> Not yet, but, you know, foreshadowing. But yeah, he drags, we see him dragging that fish all by himself up until a certain person in a certain vehicle starts driving by. Yep, Bulma pulls into the shot and desperately hit the, hits the brakes, trying not to hit a fleeing Goku. No such luck. But to Bulma's astonishment, Goku's not just alive, but believing that the car is a beast trying to get his fish. Oh, God. Not not to reference another version of this dub, but the 80s had a Harmony Gold dub from the people who did Robotech. And mm-hmm. and uh, it, was, it, it was only aired briefly on some syndicated or public channels or something, and then it became kind of lost media, but some of it has been popping up, but that's a long story. The point is, what I'm getting to is in the uh, in that version, she makes a comment, it's like, oh no, I can't get another ticket, or something like that. Oh. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the lawyer won't let me get away with it this time, or something. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> well, now. Granted, also in that dub, Goku's name is Zero for some reason. <laughs> 
but anyways, sorry for that off topic. But I just no, that's fine. Here. That's fine. That that's perfectly on topic. In fact, it, it relates to the scene. Yep. Anyways, Goku thinks it's a big monster. Bulma doesn't know what to do, so she pulls out a freaking gun and shoots him. The standards of what's acceptable in eighties Japan versus eighties America becomes more and more stark by the second. There's actually an RPG on the SNES, well, Super Famicom says it's Japan, that uh, was a retelling of the original Dragon Ball, and the I think it's the first or second enemy you fight is Bulma in the car <laughs> shooting you with the pistol. Well, now I'm picturing that in a, in a Final Fantasy viewpoint. <laughs> but, again, another scene I forgot because that got taken out of the 90s televised dub mm -hmm. though I, I love how like she like full out like almost point blank shoots him three times and barely all it did was knock him down and make him complain <laughs> so at this point Bulma has to work hard to convince Goku she's a human and not a goblin emerging from the beast and he even has to be told she's a girl turns out yeah. Master Gohan is the only human Goku's ever seen and he was told to be nice to girls by Master Gohan. He's lived a hermit lifestyle his entire life. And as Goku is explaining that Gohan passed away, Goku looks for Bulma's tail. And we get the never-ending Japanese tradition of panty shots. Which, surprisingly, they did keep in the 90s televised dub. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I think they just use the it's innocent. He's being innocent. He's naive. Yeah. Way. Yeah. I'm just looking for your tail. Now Goku had also never seen a car before and it doesn't take him long for him to realize that Bulma must be from a city. Bulma agrees and uh, even goes so far as to go along with him to talk about it after she notices on the radar that the Dragon Ball is just down the road and likely at Goku's house. For for such a simple, like, simple screen that's on that those Dragon Radars, it sure seems to be able to locate things point blank, or nope. pinpoint them. Mm-hmm. Bulma tries to warn Goku not to do any funny business, but Goku doesn't even know what the concept of improper is. And off they go into the commercial break, arguing over whose name is funnier. <laughs> Which, uh, you, you do know the, the thing about Bulma's name, right? Bloomers. Yeah. It's kind of a weird uh, Japanese pronunciation of the word bloomers, but yes. Uh, it's mm. actually a family thing with Bulma. Her dad's name is Briefs. And later wow. she'll have a son named Trunks. And a daughter named Baru. Oh, I guess Bulma's dad must have been pretty taciturn. <laughs> if he's so brief. Ha <laughs> Nice. Sorry, Sunset. <laughs> for for context, those who don't know, we have a mutual acquaintance slash friend named uh, Sunset Slade who is very allergic to puns. He does not like puns, and since he's also Scottish, she'll let you know <laughs> that he does not like them, which also makes it even more fun to taunt him with them. Now, after the commercial break, they reach the home of Goku and the late Master Gohan. And I should mention here that the dub we're watching takes full advantage of moments with no visible mouth movement to add dialogue. 
Yeah, American dubs like to do that. Use it if you got it. The only pro- time I have a problem with that is there's times where like it's obviously going for establishing shots or just kind of set the mood scenes and they'll still feel the need to put dialogue. It's like, no, no, being quiet would have been good there, but all right. (laughs) So Goku walks into the house to find Grandpa Ball glowing. Goku thinks it's trying to talk and Bulma realizes it's her prize and knocks Goku down to take it. Which, uh, Props to Bulma for managing to do that with Goku, considering, you know, this kid took a full-on car hit. Mm -hmm. She's just that excited. (laughs) Also cartoon effect, I'm sure, but still. Goku explains to her that it's the only thing Master Gohan left to him to remember him by. Now suddenly the grandpa thing makes a little more sense. But if you don't know this, it's still jarring to see this kid calling an inanimate object his grandfather. He does that even after giving the explanation for a, while, for a bit. Yeah. It's like, Grandpa's trying to talk to me. I, it's like, I, I hate to do this, but I got to. And Balma reveals she has a pair of Dragon Balls. My mind can't stay out of the gutter. You know, if she's got a pair of Dragon Balls, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I'm going to stop before I go anywhere with that, too. One thing I think is in the Japanese version of the... That's one comment that's in the Japanese version of this, that, or at least in the manga that's not here, is I think like when Bulma's like, these are Dragon Balls, Goku's like, I didn't know dragons even had. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> So Bulma explains the glowing is the balls reacting to each other. Man, even that sounds bad. (laughs) Uh, In the dub, she's alluding to the ball's power, but in the original Japanese text, she explains where she found her first Dragon Ball. I actually don't remember where that was. Uh, Yeah, her her father's uh, rubbish space, storage space, something like that. Attic, basement, I can't remember. But either way, it was in Brief's possession. For a brief time. <laughs> oh, I'm having fun with this. <laughs> but instead of getting Bulma's full explanation, we witness a trio of strange characters lay claim to a fourth Dragon Ball. This is the Pilaf Gang. Led by Emperor Pilaf, a character that looks like he jumped straight out of Dragon Quest. <laughs> No coincidence, since Toriyama would soon start working on the first Dragon Quest after the initial creation of Dragon Ball. You know, I love Dragon Ball. I like Dragon Quest. Neither of those are my favorite of Toriyama's work. That that would be Chrono Trigger. I mm, freaking love Chrono Trigger. <laughs> so yeah, Pilaf is a runty fellow in a clown outfit and has blue skin. He, he's the leader, and he's accompanied by Shu, who is a a fox-like dog in a ninja outfit, and Mai, a serious, very attractive woman in a military outfit. I I do like how Tori... I actually kind of love how Toriyama draws all of his anthropomorphic characters. Well, there's something... Another thing in his worlds that he has with no explanation is there's always just random anthropomorphic characters out of nowhere, uh, either as characters or in the background. And I, I like how he draws them because they're always like really kind of cartoonish, but not over, but they're cartoonish, but they still look different from, you know, your usual 
anthropomorphic looking animal. They're usually like kind of stubby and stumpy. And I don't know. Always yeah. look, I like how they look. Pilaf wants to make his wish right away, but Mai has to tell him that he needs the six others. So Mai ex- provides the exposition of Shenlong's summoning via the incantation and his power to grant any wish to whomever can successfully put together all seven Dragon Balls and summon him. Boy Blue, Emperor Pilaf, wants to rule the world. Of course! Of course! Because, you know, this guy looks like the type of guy you want to rule the world. Yeah. Major Napoleon complex on this one. I'd say we've had worse people in charge, but... Yeah, we've had worse people in charge. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We can start with with one I think most people can agree on. Mussolini! Yes. Back with Bulma and Goku, she provides a few more details, including the star counts on each ball. And we find out her big wishes for a boyfriend. The perfect boyfriend. 80s Japan, ladies and gentlemen. To be on, I, I hate to be honest, this honest, but you know what? I can totally see that being a plot in an American 80s cartoon, too. <laughs> Very fair. Hell, if there's magical Dragon Balls when I was in high school, I would do the same thing. But still, <laughs> actually, that probably wouldn't be what I'd wish for. But it would cross my mind. Uh, yeah, it would cross my mind, too, before I would ultimately wish to see the original lineup of War live in concert. I think I would just ask for... I think I'd just ask for an infinite amount of money so that I can do whatever I want as a career and not have to worry about a day job. Mm. So Goku still won't let Bulma have Grandpa Ball. And at this point, she gets the bright idea of trying to seduce him with panty shot number two. If you give me the Dragon Ball, I'll let you have a peek. I think in the manga, she actually offered to let him touch her butt. Yep, and in the original anime as well, per the subtitles. But doesn't matter. Goku doesn't want to see her dirty old fanny. (laughs) It's not dirty! (laughs) We should remind our listeners across the pond that fanny refers to the buttocks here in the States, where this localization was done. It's also... It's also the name of a frog on the Frogger cartoon. Mm Mm-hmm. And of course, one of my favorite dirty songs. Everybody... It's going to miss my fanny. Everybody wants to kiss my fanny. In the 1930s, no less. Everyone's a big fan of my fanny. Oh, no, wait. So, anyhow, Bulma actually successfully appeals to Goku's sense of adventure and the chance to see the world to search for their balls. Which, considering she thinks he's a small kid, is probably what she should have done in the first place. Oh. Bulma's probably, be, <laughs> being that this is 80s era Japan and Bulma's a little bit of a perv, <laughs> which is actually surprising for a fiend. Actually, if anything, that is something I'll give them credit for being somewhat different from uh, anime at, and manga at the time is usually the male characters are the pervs. So having Bulma, a female, be a perv is a bit unique. Okay, that's fair. Huh. I'll buy that for a dollar. (laughs) Nice reference to RoboCop and Smash TV. (laughs) 
So after telling Goku she made the dragon radar, I actually have to pause because my modern brain kind of fries at the thought of a woman that good-looking and that intelligent, smart enough to build a precise mystical artifact-seeking radar, and she's having trouble finding a, a boyfriend. She's also a teenager. <laughs> that that you you remember being a teenager, right? We're yeah, not when I was a teenager, I wasn't even trying. Well, right, but I mean you're you're I'm still not trying. Hormones takes a lot of your brain power whether you it's like you can do a lot of amazing things, but you're still gonna make dumb decisions because you're horny. <laughs> yeah. Chalk it up to me being on the autism spectrum a bit and that I'm my priorities were always a bit skewed compared to uh, neurotypical folk. And who knows, maybe Bulma just hasn't found guys that she liked before. Or maybe now. she just has a type. Yeah. yeah. Boy, howdy. <laughs> Sorry, having a flashback to future, the future of the series. <laughs> yeah, she, she does have a type, it turns out. But anyhow, she pulls out a container of capsules and creates a motorcycle. That's a popsicle with a motor on. Wait, no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, motors. <laughs> I'm so more used yeah. to hearing it called motorcycle. So. Yeah, I, I do that in reference to another song parody from the 60s called I Got My Baby Back. Oh, no, wait. I Want My Baby Back, which is a parody of those mushy teenage love songs that were so popular in the early 60s. You know, the the wall of sound stuff Phil Spector would produce. So you want your and... baby back ribs? Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll no. have to play it for you when, when you come up. Or, or you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find a link and send it to you. Sweet. Uh, yeah, you said I want my baby back. The only thing that pops in my head is I want my baby back ribs, but I also ate at Chili's yesterday, so that might be affecting that. Mm. <laughs> so Balma's uh, little purse of capsules is going to come into play quite a bit, but she explains they're Dynacaps, miniaturized items that can be made full-size at will with a big bomb. I don't think that's a Japanese name for them, though. No. It's I'm not sure. capsules. Yeah, but they, and they come from Capsule Corp. Well, yeah. Cause not that's... to be confused with Capcom. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, Capsule Corp is owned by uh, her dad. So. Yep. Dr. Brief. The capsules are another neat little thing in this. I think it's a really cool gimmick uh it allows them to do a lot of things very easily and that would take more setup and do it instantly without you know any explanation but it's still kind of a really cool effect and gimmick so it's like a rather creative uh writing shorthand in a lot of ways yeah and they establish it nice and early that she has multiple of these on hand rather than uh the stuff Putty Puss gets up to in the Hound Cats. <laughs> no, I'm not letting that go. You mean rhubarb? Ru oh, yes, rhubarb. Yes, thank you. But I'm still not letting it go. <laughs> well, he isn't. No, I can't do Joe Besser's voice. Sorry. So after some driving and an accidental stunt, Bulma has to take a pit stop, and she has to tell Goku not to follow her. <laughs> Only to tell him to come back over there. <laughs> now, the original line in the Japanese version is Goku asking, Did a snake bite your wiener? <laughs> wow. Oh, you know the worst part about that is? 
That means that most likely Goku knows that from experience. Ouch. What you can't see is me shifting in my seat. Snake on snake action. Oh, man. (laughs) So, Bulma is in the clutches of a massive talking pterodactyl, who Goku first assumes is a friend of hers. He is nothing if not naive. (laughs) Yeah. The pterodactyl says that he and Bulma have a dinner engagement for two, and proceeds to tie Goku up. I think he's lying. (laughs) Regular detective, this Goku. Yeah. And this is a point where the English dub makes Goku smarter than the original, because in the Japanese version, Goku is still convinced that the pterodactyl is Bulma's friend. (laughs) But as Bulma cries for help, Goku gets himself untied, figures out the motorcycle, takes to the air, and uses his magic staff to dispatch the dactyl. Power pole extend! Oh, as if the innuendos can't get any worse. Well, to their to Toriyama's defense, that is an actual item owned by the uh, Monkey King, so... Very true, very true. <laughs> this fight, oof. Oh god, do you think there's some anime fans that actually sit in the X-ray? I'll stop. Stop. (laughs) So the pterodactyl plummets to its demise after having a chunk of its head knocked clean off. And Bulma gets caught in a cliff via the staff. And, well... She's having a crisis. Yeah. A a golden crisis. Weirdly, I think that's what she's... I think that's close to the same thing she says in the Harmony Gold dub, too. I can't remember what her name is on that. I only remember that Goku's name was Zero. And I was like, Zero? As Goku recovers her and they resume their quest, I find myself taking back most of what I said about Speed Racer. <laughs> and I, I just hope that Bulma gets a clean pair of pants. So. Yeah. But yeah, Goku's a regular detective there. It's like... It's like, I think he's lying. It's like, geez, Goku, I haven't seen intelligence this great since I played the first Danganronpa game. Where your protagonist finds up someone who's stabbed. He's like, there's something sticking out of her chest. And it's like, no, yes, Sherlock. <laughs> so while I recollect myself, we're going to take our own commercial break. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, she's arguably the most famous character created for an animated adaptation of a comic book franchise to later jump to the comics themselves. She's inescapable on the convention circuit and has been the subject of all manner of reinventions. She's Harley Quinn. And in two weeks, we take a look at a pair of formative episodes featuring her from Batman the Animated Series. Tune in. Or you're Mr. J's new hobby. Well, folks, my torture is not over yet. Because we gotta find those Dragon Balls. (laughs) Because episode two has very much continuing in the same vein. We move on to episode two, The Emperor's Quest. Despite the fact that Emperor isn't in this episode very much. (laughs) Yeah. We open with Bulma telling Goku he shouldn't be eating frogs and snakes when they reach civilization. Or lizards, for that matter. (laughs) This is one of those scenes where Goku's naivety is almost almost adorable, though. (laughs) It's just like, 
You can't be eating snakes and frogs. Oh, what about lizards? No, that's gross. Oh. <laughs> well, if he was on a Mexican radio, he might be eating barbecue iguana. <laughs> nice. Love that song. A full-on house capsule is deployed, and Goku is still convinced that what he's seeing is magic, to the point where he doesn't even understand light bulbs. I also love these uh, th- these house designs come back in uh, Dragon Ball quite a quite a bit, actually, though usually bigger versions of it, but the dome-shaped houses actually appear quite a bit. and I actually like it. I think it's a neat, simple like design, but it looks really cool. We should probably use it if we ever design what PNJHQ looks like. There you go. Once she convinces Goku that it's not a giant beetle trying to eat them, she brings him in to where Goku gets amazed by modern technology with such amazing things as lights. Yep. It's still afternoon in here. And TV. (laughs) And it turns out television is an even bigger mystery and frankly, I'd be spooked by the vacant stare of the guitarist on the screen, too. <laughs> also get a more in-your-face seat of Bulma being kind of a perv as uh, she switches it to a romance movie and gets really into wanting to see them kiss. Yeah, she gets closer and closer to the screen, only for the channel to change again, and it's a kaiju show. Yeah. And Goku wondering if she's hungry because she's drooling. Mm. Oh, dear. Which they kept that in the 90s televised one, too, which I think I was surprised by. I was like, wow. All right. (laughs) After Bulma gets over her shock, she realizes Goku smells like the wilderness he was raised in. Um, Actually, this gets into a scene that I actually have to give the 90s version kind of props for. Because they pretty much kept this following scene intact. They just did a little, like, digital editing of putting... Strategically placing a stool to block Goku. The naughty bits. (laughs) Yeah, Goku's naughty bits. And uh, actually, the stool looks like it... Looks like Toriyama drawn, so they may have lifted it from somewhere else and digitally edited it. I don't know. But they did a good enough job that, like, when I first saw the, uh, before I saw, like, any unedited versions, when I first saw it, I, it didn't even click in my head that it was digitally edited. They actually did a really good job on just digitally editing it. So, props. And also, I, I also give credit just for doing that rather than, you know, just cutting the scene out wholesale, which they could have also done. So. Yeah. And of course, Goku has no concept of what a towel is for, or modesty for that matter, because when Bulma asks him to cover his front, he covers his face. <laughs> it's actually, to their credit, that's actually a pretty good joke. <laughs> also, good, like, expression from Bulma responding to that. Just, yeah. <laughs> but Bulma proceeds to give Goku a bath, only to find out that that tell is not some weird attachment thing that Goku has on him. It is his actual legitimate tell. Yeah. Just very quickly before that, Bulma refers to herself in the original uh, Japanese language that she's a peachy peachy girl. Now that's something that Master Roshi will use quite a bit. (laughs) But, you know, she, she uses it first and I had to look this up 
And apparently it means smart and elegant. You got me on that one. <laughs> uh, that's what came up on, on the first Google answer. It's probably right. I just somehow didn't know that. I'm learning stuff too today. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, when Bulma sees that the tale is not just real, but pre- fully prehensile, the, her shock moves the house quite literally. Though I do want to point out that there is some slight foreshadowing here, which is the fact that by uh, when she was trying to pull Goku's tail, thinking that it just comes off or something, that Goku actually says that it is painful. And considering what we've seen this kid deal with, this is foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. In the aftermath, Bulma is now thinking whether or not all boys have tails and just hide them in her pants. In their pants. I bet she wishes they hid him in her pants. <laughs> See, Well, they do have one that they hide in their pants, but oh. Well, well. Yeah, as a matter of fact, in the original Japanese dialogue, she, she's one thinking that they only had them in the front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Tori. <laughs> yeah. Bulma is something, all right. She can create mystical bobble-detecting radars. But she's struggling with basic anatomy. You know, who knows what sex ed was like in Japan in the 80s. Or for that matter, what sex ed was like in whatever version of Earth Dragon Ball takes it place in. Yeah, that's fair. For all we know, Bulma could have been homeschooled, and that's why she hasn't been able to get a boyfriend. Oh, must have been a very brief schooling. (laughs) I'm going to wring as much mileage out of this as I can. (laughs) Well, maybe she's a late bloomer. (laughs) So, now it's Bulma's turn to take a bath. Cue fan service. All things considered, mild. As bad as it could have been, yeah. Yeah, very mild. And also, cue Goku thinking it's appropriate to help her. Yeah. Which is fair, because, you know, she helped him, and this is his first experience with bathing. So he assumes it's the right thing to do. In all, all defense, I can't blame him for thinking that's okay. And this is one of the few scenes where his naivety actually makes legitimate sense. Yeah. And in the original Japanese, there's discussion of boobs and butts with Goku thinking Bulma's chest is essentially a front butt. <laughs> I forgot about that, but yes. Wow. Just just the idea of a front butt anatomy is already making me have a minor, like, stroke. No, <laughs> and we also, in the original version, get the revelation that Goku is, in fact, not a little kid. He's 14. Yep. Apparently, Saiyan maturity is, a, is at a very different pace than human maturity. Actually, is he? I, I, I think he might actually be 13 and he got off a year or something. I don't remember because, like, I know later they point out that he, he was off a year or something. Well, the, the 14 is what's used in the subtitles I saw, so that's what I wrote down. Yeah, because I remember, like, in the second story arc, like, Krillin makes some sort of comment and he was like, oh, right, I'm 13. I added an extra year by accident and almost like I knew he wasn't as old that close to my age or something like that. Mm. But don't quote me on the exacts of that. It's been a long time. Right. 
Anyhow, this revelation causes Bulma to completely freak out and call him a peeping Tom. <laughs> Whereas in the dub, the discussion is about is more tail talk and Bulma just having a complete mental breakdown. Oh, come on! Uh, I can't take it anymore! Get out of my bathroom and stay out! And for the last time, I don't want a stupid tail! It, it, it kind of works because she just... It, it works in the dub, even though they're missing the obviously toning down the dialogue, but it works because she just seems to be getting more and more frustrated with him and just gets sick of it. Yeah. This is as good a time as any to turn our attention to Emperor Pilaf, who resides in a dank and foreboding place surrounded by mushrooms that are as tall as trees. Uh, Emperor Pilaf, one of many examples of Toriyama just liking to name people after food or various weird objects. Mm -hmm. As in rice pilaf. So we see Shu, the dog fox, dressed as a ninja, explaining to his master that he did not find another Dragon Ball. And Pilaf goes on a monologue about how not having one is enough, including how uh, if Shu had all his paws but one cut off, would the one be enough? I guess he gets to his point, but what a way to do it. Yeah. Pilaf wants to, of course, rule the world. And he decides to talk talk about what, what he wants to do when he rules the world. And in the original Japanese language, he wants to kill people who pee in public. Oh. I guess that puts Goku on the hit list. Poor Goku. Wait, good luck on that, actually. That True. There. Where, and, you know, Pilaf even declares that if people people toot in public, that's bad enough for him. And amid his maniacal laughter, Pilaf lets one out. You know, in retrospect, I, I think I like the dub version better on that one because just having it happen out of nowhere actually is... I, I'm not a fan of fart jokes, but as far as humor goes, having it come out of nowhere is actually kind of almost more funnier because it's just catchy off guard. Right. But... Proof that Pilaf is probably more human than he looks. He tries to blame it on the dog. Of course, that's who you always blame it on. Yeah, in the Japanese version, he, he says that Shu did it. Whereas in the dub, he just tries to get Shu to deny that he heard it. <laughs> it's enough for Pilaf to dispatch a grabbing device on Shu to have him held aloft in the air by each arm. And when Shu still doesn't comply enough, Pilaf breaks out a chainsaw. Yeah, says he's going to trim the staff. Weirdly, I think they kept that line in the 90s dub too, which actually made me go, ah, 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 all right. Yeah. Censor <laughs> was asleep, I guess, or just mm -hmm. didn't catch it. Shu finally relents. And at this point, Mai arrives via a panel in the ceiling. She's got the ninja skills. Mm-hmm. And she has report of having found some glowing object in the forebodingly named Skull Valley. Well, at least it's not Skull Island. Then they'd have to deal with King Kong. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, there's enough big monsters as is. Never mind. Oh, yeah. Including big monkeys. Oh, yeah. Eventually. Eventually. At the end of this story arc. Yeah. But <laughs> Pilaf dispatches his duo to go collect it. And we return to Bulma and Goku. And Goku is not not happy with normal food or normal city folk 
food. Yeah, he says the bread is flavorless and the soup is bitter. That soup actually being coffee. Now, as a kid drinking coffee, I can't blame him. Yeah. It took me a long time to... Actually, even as an adult, it took me a long time before I actually started liking coffee. So Yeah, I, I just don't drink it, not because of any flavor considerations, but caffeine does strange things to me. Ooh. Yeah. I'll keep that in mind because I'm fairly reliant on caffeine. <laughs> yeah, I put it to you this way. Uh, we're going to tangent for a bit here, folks, so uh, indulge us for a second. At my job before my current one, a co-worker decided to counteract my yawning by giving me a Mountain Dew Code Red energy drink. Oof. It did not wake me up, but the caffeine gave me severe jitters. It's a very strange experience having your teeth chattering while you're yawning. Wow. That's a experience. Yeah. Oh. It is worth mentioning that Goku says that soup makes him feel weird later. So there you go. Maybe he can relate. Too true. Too true. But Goku decides to go off looking for food that he thinks will make him big and strong. And that's where we go to our commercial break. And when we return, Goku has only caught a centipede. Looks be- <laughs> Looks less creepy than a normal centipede, I guess. To be <laughs> sure. Let's see. But oh, still I, creepier I... Than, a, than an Atari centipede. Ha. But excluding the Atari commercial centipede. That will turn you into a centipede. <laughs> There's a lot of that in Atari ads. Which makes me wonder how Atari succeeded, because I'm just like, you're saying your centipede game is going to turn me into a centipede. How is this supposed to encourage me to play this game? <laughs> and the Joust game will turn you into a bird. Better than a centipede, at least. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I will have to say the idea of eating a centipede is you, gross. Mm-hmm. All the other animals we mentioned, it's like, yeah, you know, whatever. Centipede, ew. No. (laughs) Especially since, aren't they venomous? Yes. Which probably means, oh, it explains why Goku could probably eat it. (laughs) Either that or he just knows how to... Nah, I doubt he knows how to... (laughs) Right. But Goku decides that since this isn't enough to even feed Bulma, he, he keeps looking and eventually sees the plane that Mai and Shu are flying in, but thinks it's a bird, of course. Of course, of course, of course. Mai and yeah. Shu are on, to, on their way to Skull Valley and discover why it's very aptly named that. So many bones and skulls. Yep. It's a regular uh, skeleton graveyard. In comes Goku, who thinks they're trying to take the bird that he wants... Shu and Mai obviously have no idea what he's talking about. And they don't want to give him the bird anyways. Yeah. If the Hayes office would let me, I'd give him the Boyd. <laughs> or the Animaniacs version is like, we'd love to give you the bird, but the Fox Sensors won't let us. They eventually discover the source of the glowing. It ain't a Dragon Ball, folks. It's a pack of wolves. A, a lot big of pack them. of wolves. A carton of wolves, practically. A murder of wolves. Wait, that's crows. Yeah. Well, they're trying for murder anyways. Yeah, appropriate. I'd say it's a congress of wolves, but that's owls. And these wolves are more effectual than a congress. I don't know. Our congress seems to be filled with a lot of wolves. (laughs) Mm. I I was thinking more hyenas, but... mm. Yeah, probably more accurate. (laughs) Anywho, Goku fights them off 
we get some dramatic still shots and some anime action lines. Is there a technical term for those action lines? I think they just call them speed lines. Speed lines, okay. Mai and Shu retreat into their plane, and Goku realizes his bird is getting away, and while the wolves dogpile Goku, he knocks the plane out of the sky via his staff and his martial arts ability. Goku is nothing if not powerful and naive. <laughs> However, Goku re- finds the wrecked sh- ship and finds that it's too rock hard for him to eat. He is yeah. still unaware that it is not a bird. Right. Again, this is another instance where there, there's differences in intelligence between the dubs and the, and the original Japanese language. As I think in one of them, Goku realizes, huh, maybe it's not a bird after all. That's not he, the dub. Yeah, must be the sub. Man, his intelligence changes <laughs> depending, back and forth depending on the versions. Yeah. Mai and Shu are just shell-shocked by the whole thing. Understandable. Yeah, to be sure. So, Goku returns, presents the food to a freaked-out Balma... And just eats it himself. Which, uh, the food is a centipede and a dead wolf. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Goku's hungry like the wolf. (laughs) Cue morning! And we see a shadowy creature emerging from the brush. It might be worth mentioning that this episode is comprised of multiple manga stories because it's kind of all over the place. (laughs) Indeed. Although you have much more experience with the manga than I do, which is to say any experience you would have is more than I have. (laughs) But yes, shadowy figure appears. Characters wake up. Goku realizes there's more space in the bed, decides to lay down, and notices something odd about Bulma. (laughs) Yeah, we actually see him perform a slapping motion in the direction of... uh... (laughs) Or, uh... Nether regions. Yeah. And he shocks her awake by proclaiming that her bits are missing, including her balls. And Bulma misinterprets this, that her dragon balls are missing. Even the show is doing the dirty jokes for us now. Well, it is early Akira Toriyama, so... Mm -hmm. So, eventually Goku goes out to train by smashing rocks. With this adorable, angry expression on his face. Oh, yeah. And that, that's also the scene. Before that, it's the scene where he says he doesn't want to drink the uh, coffee. Because Bulma asks, do you want to have coffee with me? And he's like, no, that, that stuff tastes gross. And it makes me feel weird. <laughs> Which, to admit, to be honest, uh, the idea of Goku on a caffeine high does sound like a freaking scary thing. Yeah. He's already got a lot of energy as is. So after successfully crushing one rock... Goku proceeds to crush what he thinks is another, but it turns out it's a, it's our shadowy creature, which is, in fact, a sea turtle. A sea turtle has made it to the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. This is Kame, who made it that far looking for mushrooms to eat. And also, by the way, Goku had previously said he thought Bulma would turn into a turtle because she's taking so slow to get ready. And, well, he mistakes Kame for Balma. He is, uh, nothing if not... Imaginative. 
Yeah, I was about to say that actually that is a big logic jump. <laughs> so Bulma comes out in time for Kame's exposition and Goku wants to help, but Bulma initially refuses since they're on the hunt for the Dragon Balls. But Bulma was at least nice enough to give him give the turtle some salt water when he asked, so. Yep. 86 vintage. No, I'm pretty sure it's 87. <laughs> Can you, can you even give vintages on salt water? I hope not. I had to mention that moment because I thought the like, vintage on salt water thing was just funny. So Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the turtle even like describes it like he's drinking fine wine. He's like, aromic, and yet... <laughs> so Goku just decides to carry Kame off on his own. Bulma just shouts, I don't need you! And then realizes... She does when she takes a look at the megafauna nearby. It is a great, just both reminder of the world that these characters live in and just a good establishing shot. Just how, it, like, after she says that, it just has, like, the, that zoomed out picture where you see in the background, like, the giant freaking T-Rex and everything. And she's just like, all right. <laughs> and so she takes a pursuit on another motorcycle while insisting she still doesn't need them. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt, folks. You know, this reminds me of something that happens in the next episode. And I'm just going to say this part real quick. Uh, when Goku took off her underpants and realized she wasn't, didn't have any balls because he doesn't know crap about women, Bulma never put those back on. Oh, she is unaware that she is not wearing anything. So right now she's riding that motorcycle. Bareback. Yeah. And somehow still hasn't realized it. I'm not a girl, but that still seems ouch to me. So, you know. Yeah. And just imagine when she runs into Master Roshi in the next episode. Yep. Yeah, Master Roshi, who is voiced in this dub by Mike McFarland, who is also coming to Flower City Comic Con. Cue the cheesy one-ups and grins that you can't see from us. I literally didn't do it again, though. <laughs> well, I did. Well, I did. I was just like, okay. it's like, ding. And but yeah, we should we should describe Roshi a bit since he is since his voice actor is going to be joining us at the sh- at the show. Roshi uh, is the turtle hermit. He is the he is a very powerful. And intelligent martial artist. He is also a big pervert and a little bit of a jerk, but kind of a likable jerk. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to censor so much adult content in the Kame house. I, I think my favorite thing with censoring <laughs> Master Roshi is got to be the Dragon Power video game, which was a game on the NES. Where, uh, which was a Dragon Ball game in Japan. Bandai decided to bring it to America, but since Dragon Ball wasn't airing in America, they did a really half-ass uh, swapping of stuff. Like, made Roshi look more like a stereotypical hermit, you know, robe and big beard, bigger beard. But, uh, and just called him Hermit, I think, in, the, in, in that. But in it, there's a scene where he asks for Bulma's panties, and since they can't do that in an American game, they took the panties icon 
flipped it around, took off the bow, and claimed it was a sandwich. And so Master Roshi just wants Bulma's sandwich for some reason. But that, that's all they did to the graphic is just rotated it, took off the bow. It's a sandwich. A lacy, frilly sandwich. <sighs> wow. The game is also not very good. But... No, no. Which also had some creative names yet. If I recall right, Goku is still called Goku in that one. Uh, Bulma's name has changed to Nora, though, for some reason. I have a niece named Nora. We should not show her this game. <laughs> I don't know about showing the game as much as not let her play the game, because mm. it, it will give frustration. Yeah. It is unfairly difficult. <laughs> Very much so. Other weird names, but we'd have to get into other characters first. So Yeah, and... And we've been running for quite a bit, so we only have time to really discuss one other character. Your favorite from the series. Yamcha! I love Yamcha. He is the best. I also feel really sorry for him, because in the original Dragon Ball, they actually make him into, like, kind of, not exactly, I'd say, straight-up villain, more kind of anti-hero-esque, but he is a desert bandit. He's very strong, but he has a crippling fear of women. Where he, if he's, he is crippling levels of shy. Seeing a girl will make him completely freeze up and possibly panic. Before I took on the name Pembroke W. Corgi, I used to actually go by Yamcha Hibiki. So, because Yamcha was my favorite character. Unfortunately for Yamcha, once the, once Toriyama got over his fear of fighting, he kind of became the series whipping boy in the fact that every time the new big bad would appear, the first thing he'd do would be kick Yamcha's ass. Yeah, the maim of Yamcha in a crater in a near-fetal position is very prominent to this day. I have a pop figure of dead Yamcha. That is a legit thing that got made that I own. I believe it. Because I just couldn't believe pop made it to begin with, and it was like, when I saw it, I was like, how can I not buy that? <laughs> yes. Uh, the Yamcha Crater meme has become such a meme that even Dragon Ball Super made a joke about it in an episode where Yamcha actually helped because uh, they actually had to do a baseball competition with some god-level cre creatures. And it ends with Yamcha wins it, by stealing home in a giant crater. Because <laughs> they tried to stop him by doing a lot of explosions and they're, and everybody's complaining about how they weren't supposed to use their powers and only to reveal this giant crater with Yamcha and his hand is on the freaking... He's in the same pose, but his hand is on the home plate. Wow. And Goku's future son, Gohan, just who saw th this traumatic event originally, just looks at it and goes, this looks oddly familiar to me. <laughs> uh, but yes, Yamcha finally got the win something after so many years of getting either this, either killed or just the snot beat out of him. And sadly, this tradition happens before even Dragon Ball Z, because in Dragon Ball, it becomes a tradition that every time they go to a tournament and the new big bad beats the crap out of Yamcha. Poor Yamcha. 
And that mentioning of tournaments leads into just how influential Dragon Ball was on the scene of manga and anime as a whole. Yep, as similar things would be done in manga and anime such as Naruto and My Hero Academia. Even even shows that didn't initially involve tournaments in their premise would adapt them as Dragon Ball rose to prominence. It's amazing how influential the series is. It's also amazing that this series goes from this little, like, will Tarzan kid who doesn't know anything to being about, like, aliens. And, and the fact that Goku himself... Oh, hey, yeah, you know what? There's a moment that we didn't mention in the second episode that's actually... Unintentional foreshadowing. Okay, hit us. Uh, Bulma actually says, I don't know what planet this kid came from, but it sure isn't Earth. Hmm, yeah, yeah, you ain't wrong. <laughs> yeah, I missed that because uh, my, some of my notes got eaten up when my computer went into a forced reset. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but yes, she makes that comment. And yes, Goku actually is from another planet, but we don't find that until like, well, I think almost like, I don't know, Way later, when they Way go later. from Dragon Ball to Dragon Ball Z, and uh, it's revealed that where Goku's uh, brother Raditz appears, who's from another planet, and we find out that Goku is a member of an alien species known as Saiyans, and he was actually sent to Earth to destroy Earth or take hmm. it over. But when his grandfather Gohan, who he also names Goku, would later name his son after. When his grandpa Gohan found him, he accidentally dropped him off a cliff, and Goku landed on his uh, on his head on a rock and got brain damage. And that's why he's such a nice kid. Wow. Yes. So there's a reason Goku's kind of dippy, other than just being a naive child. He they don't straight out say it's brain damage, but they do say he took a head injury. So Goku, our hero in this series, who would save us from multiple threats and is still kind of a moron but a likable moron when he's not being a total unintentional asshat which happens quite a bit mm-hmm. is uh has brain damage this explains so much yep because uh dragon ball z we get to meet other saiyans such as the aforementioned raditz vegeta nappa vegeta who would later Oh, yeah, I should mention that Yamcha also becomes Bulma's boyfriend after the end of the first story arc. And they have a frustrating relationship, I'll put it that way. They're constantly, like, once Yamcha gets over his fear of women, he does become a little bit of a flirt. But to be fair, so is Bulma. So, you know, Um, regardless, they have a... Mostly consistent relationship, though occasionally off and on moments where they get into fights. And then eventually Bulma just drops Yamcha for Vegeta. (laughs) The villain who comes in and at one point pretty much killed all of her friends if it wasn't for the Dragon Balls. Love is blind. The the reveal of that is so... Because uh, if I remember right, the the reveal of uh, Vegeta and Bulma getting in a relationship just has to do with Bulma having a baby, which is Trunks, after, you know, everyone has gone training for a while. And it's like, wow, I didn't think Yamcha, wow, you had a kid with Yamcha? And Yamcha is like, it's not my kid. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> 
and before they, even that scene, because uh, Goku, because the I know I'm getting off topic and into the future stuff, but it's one of my favorite like dub scenes. Is Trunks comes from the future to help them with the android issue, but like Goku and uh, Trunks are talking far away from everyone else because Trunks is wants to test Goku and realize he's the person that his mom said he was and blah, blah, blah. But was just like, he's like, my mom was right about you. And Goku's like, really? Your mom? Do I know her? And it's like, yeah, she's right over there. And Goku's like, your mom's Bulma and does a pratfall. And like Vegeta and everybody from a distance just sees this. And Vegeta's like, that man pointed his finger and Kakarot fell down. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, Kakarot is uh, Goku's Saiyan name because mm-hmm. they're all named after vegetables, and Kakarot is carrot. That explains the orange. <laughs> so, hundreds of episodes, dozens of movies, untold scores of books published, hun- a revival oh. that happened recently, mm-hmm. and. No doubt, over a hundred video game adaptations too. Dragon Ball is as inescapable as Mickey Mouse. Also, I want to recommend, as far as video games, Dragon Ball Fighter Z or Fighters. I don't know how you want to pronounce that, but the one that Arc Systems does is really good. So, and we are gonna kind of cut it off here because. There's so much more to discuss, and we will eventually return to this franchise as a whole. Not sure what or when, but it will return in the next episode of Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you get the idea. Uh, Actually, I kind of... You just reminded me that I actually like the Dragon Ball Z, the American Dragon Ball Z theme for... The 90s, interpreta- 90s, 2000 interpretations of that. <laughs> dragon, dragon, rock the dragon, dragon, ballsy! Yep. Well, this has caused me to work up a Saiyan-sized appetite, so let's go restock the breakfast cereal. All right. I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And I'm James Irish. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. See ya! The Penny and James to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.